Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Hey y'all, it is Friday the 13th, and I am super excited to announce that in addition to today's show, we've just dropped a premium episode for all of our supporters over on Patreon, as well as the folks who sign up for our brand new subscription service on the Apple Podcast app. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you are using the Apple Podcast app, then you now have the option to become a premium subscriber for only $2.99 a month. That means when new episodes come out, you'll be able to access ad-free versions from right there within the app itself, something that until now, we've only offered to our supporters on Patreon. But that's not all. You'll also automatically get that monthly premium episode dropped right into your feed, just like any of the others that we publish already. So, if you're interested, sign up today to make the most of it. As for folks who are already on Patreon or y'all who don't use the Apple Podcast app, Don't feel slighted. This is the same stuff Patreon supporters have been getting for quite a bit of time. In fact, over there, you even get a little more, like photo albums and videos, things like that. I even just uploaded a photo album with a bunch of pictures from today's story, as well as a little video that I actually take you on a visual tour of the place. So y'all have got plenty of options to get even more Southern Gothic, to dive even deeper into these episodes. And of course, we greatly appreciate all of your support. Now, today's episode. Well, the reason why I have so much bonus content for it over on Patreon is because just this last weekend, I actually took a trip down to Cleveland, Tennessee to see the place at the center of this story, St. Luke's Episcopal Church. 
This church is absolutely stunning. It's constructed with red brick and is a wonderful example of Gothic Revival architecture. With a tall pitched roof, long stained glass windows, and intricate decorative trim. Adding to its grandeur is a tall, imposing bell tower that once loomed over the southern community. One of Cleveland's most prominent citizens built St. Luke's back in 1874 in honor of his daughter. But it wasn't really the church itself that he was most interested in. It was the structure behind it, a large marble mausoleum that locals claimed to be haunted by the girl whose remains lay in rest there, a girl named Nina Craig Miles. But while some say that little Nina's spirit has been seen wandering the churchyard behind St. Luke's, most know of the mausoleum for the strange appearance of crimson streaks that have marred the fine Italian marble streaks of red that, despite all effort, cannot be removed, leaving some to claim that it's the blood of the little girl inside whose life ended in tragedy. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, 
shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. John Henderson Craig Miles was a wealthy man when his daughter Nina was born in 1864. Yet that was not always the case. Craig Miles was born in Greene County, Tennessee in June 1825, but spent some of his early life in Georgia. At about the age of 25, he returned to Tennessee, settling just east of Chattanooga in the town of Cleveland. There, he and his brother started what would become a prosperous mercantile business. Eventually, though, John grew restless with the business and turned his attention to the gold fields of California. Although the life of a prospector was not for him, the businessman realized that there was money to be made in shipping. So he purchased a small fleet of six ships. With this fleet, Craig Miles began a shipping line between California and Panama providing supplies for settlers and prospectors on the West Coast. This business prospered for some time until mutinous crews hijacked five of his six ships at sea and fled with the vessels full of cargo. Creditors' claims wiped out the fortune he had managed to build thus far, and John was forced to ask his brother for a loan of $600, upwards of $20,000 in today's currency. With his borrowed money and his single remaining ship, John Craig Miles vowed to rebuild his business, and that is exactly what he did. Cleveland was like many towns tucked away in the mountains of eastern Tennessee, as it was split in its loyalties throughout the war. But as a town built on the back of the railroad system, President Abraham Lincoln himself took interest in it, Believing the Tennessee town to be an integral part of the Union strategy, he personally told his commanders, quote, to take and hold the railroad at or east of Cleveland, Tennessee, I think is as fully as important as the taking and holding of Richmond. John Craig Miles also recognized the significance of his community and took advantage of it for profit. Coupling his experiences shipping out west with his social standing in the community, he was given an appointment to serve as the chief commissary agent for the Confederate States, a role that put him in charge of supplying Southern troops with food and clothing, an opportunity that it very much used to his own advantage. According to one account, quote, John's brother, Green Craig Miles, bought meat at six cents per pound and John Craig Miles sold it to the Confederate Army for 11 cents a pound. This arrangement is said to have profited them some $20,000 on meat alone in one year. But as a true businessman, John didn't just figure out how to make a profit. He also knew how to keep it. Recognizing the insubstantial value of paper money, he conducted as much of his business as possible using gold 
as gold retained its value. So after the South was defeated and its paper money was absolutely worthless, John Craig Miles did not lose his fortune, as many other Southern businessmen had. It was near the end of the war, on August 5, 1864, when John and Adelia Craig Miles finally began a family and welcomed their daughter Nina into the world. It's said that John had really hoped for a son and an heir, but upon seeing his beautiful baby girl, it didn't take long for her to steal his heart. And from then on, he quote, became completely foolish in his adoration of Nina. But it wasn't just John who was smitten by the girl. The entire family, in fact, became utterly enthralled by her. Nina is said to have been a wonderfully spoiled child. For example, when she was baptized at the age of four, Nina was dressed in the most elegant clothing that her father could buy for her. Of all of her family, though, Nina had a particularly close bond with her grandfather, Dr. Gideon Thompson. The doctor, of course, spoiled his granddaughter as well, who was the only daughter of his only daughter. Together, they went on walks in downtown Cleveland, spending afternoons enjoying the air and visiting the shops. And frequently, Nina accompanied her grandfather on medical calls, joining him on his rounds throughout town. The young girl was particularly fond of these outings, though, because they took his horse-drawn buggy as they made their way through Cleveland. And little Nina liked to go fast. Folks say that the young girl frequently coaxed her grandfather into going faster and faster, and while Dr. Thompson was not usually so adventurous, he was a pushover for his granddaughter and gave in to her requests, letting his horse trot fast for several blocks. And if Nina was especially lucky that day, Dr. Gideon might let her hold the reins in her little gloved hands, although he did always take great care to maintain control. Unfortunately, these beautiful days would not last long, as tragedy was right around the corner. It was raining when Dr. Thompson arrived at the Craig Miles house on October 18, 1871. What his plans were that day is unknown, but he was there to pick up Nina to take her with him around town. Some say that upon leaving, the doting grandfather called out to Adelia and told her he'd return soon with her little girl. But woefully, this was the last time that she'd see her daughter alive. Folklore's Catherine Tucker Wyndham wrote, Nobody knows exactly how the accident happened. Perhaps Nina and her grandfather 
laughing together over a shared secret, forgot they were approaching the railroad tracks. Perhaps the horse shied suddenly. Perhaps Nina had urged the horse to a dangerously fast pace. Nobody knows for sure. As Dr. Thompson and Nina crossed the railroad tracks on Inman Street, a train crashed headfirst into his buggy. The doctor was thrown clear on impact, suffering only minor injuries. But he likely wished he had died that day, as his beautiful granddaughter, Nina, was not so fortunate. The young girl was killed instantly on impact, crushed by the metal-framed cow catcher attached to the front of the engine. Little Nina Craig Miles was only seven years old. Two days after her death, the October 20th edition of the Knoxville Daily Chronicle published the following under the headline, Little Nina. The dispatches of yesterday brought the sad intelligence of the death of Nina Craig Miles, the only child of John H. and Adelia Craig Miles of Cleveland. Nina was seven years old, beautiful in features, winning in manners and brilliant in mind. The idol of a happy home, the petted grandchild of a noble old man. How often have I met her with that bright childish face as she tripped so gay and bright to school. How beautiful she looked as she murmured so sweetly, good morning, or evening, and passed on to give learning to the mind. I also remember her singing some little childish song which the care of a doting mother taught her, and how well she sang. Poor little Nina. I shall see her no more. Funeral services were held at the St. Albans Episcopal Mission, the same place she had been baptized just three years prior. The entire community attended to pay their respects, but the service was a bit unusual, as after the rector recited the burial rites, scripture, and comforting prayers, a baptism service was held for three of the men in little Nina's life her father John, her grandfather Dr. Thompson, and her uncle Joseph Green Craig Miles. It's said that by the time Nina's funeral was over, John Craig Miles had already started making plans on what he would do to memorialize his beloved daughter. So in June of 1872, the grieving father purchased roughly half an acre of land from his father-in-law, Dr. Thompson, and began construction on a church. The result was a beautiful red brick Gothic revival structure, adorned with stained glass windows that featured patterns of fleur-de-lis and a beautiful bell tower that stood over three stories tall. The church was a fitting memorial for the Craig Miles' late daughter and it's estimated that John spent roughly $22,000 constructing it, upwards of a half a million today. It took a total of three years to complete, and when it finally was, it was consecrated St. Luke's on October 18, 1874, the feast day of its namesake. But more importantly, this was the third anniversary of Nina's death. 
In spite of this accomplishment, John Craig Miles was still not done ensuring that his daughter's life would be remembered for years to come. In the churchyard behind St. Luke's, John began building an immense mausoleum for his family. Spending about $20,000, the tomb rivaled the church in cost. Constructed with white marble imported from Italy, it stands more than 37 feet tall from its base to the tip of the cross that tops the marble spire. The crypt's walls are four feet thick, and the interior includes three shelves built into the walls. But most important of all is that in the center is a carved marble sarcophagus in which Nina's remains were placed. It's topped with a carved blanket upon which a cross and a crown rests. And among the carved ivy draping this stone coffin, it's etched, quote, Born August 5th, 1864, Nina, daughter of Emma Delia and John H.E. Craig Miles, fell asleep October 18th, 1871. John donated the church and its land to the Protestant Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Tennessee. And according to the deeds of the land donation, the property and church are in memorial, quote, to their little daughter, Nina Craig Miles. But while the land was formally donated, it remained a significant part of the Craig Miles family's existence. According to an 1872 edition of the Knoxville Daily Chronicle, quote, The church is immediately opposite the Craig Miles residence, the tower fronting his door, and the tomb their sitting room. In fact, some believe that John's desire to build St. Luke's had more to do with his determination to build a fitting resting place for his daughter than it did with his religious conviction. Either way, John's hope to create a lasting legacy for Nina certainly came true. However, it seems that it may have had more to do with the eerie appearance of a blood-red stain on the marble above the mausoleum door, an occurrence that has made little Nina's crypt one of the most infamous mausoleums in the country. We'll explore the mysterious appearance of this seemingly paranormal occurrence and more after the break. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside 
The Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Folks say that it wasn't long after Nina Craigmiles was laid to rest that red stains began to appear on the marble above the door of her mausoleum. The church's caretaker was purportedly the first to notice, and without much thought, he merely took a rag to what appeared to be still wet red marks and cleaned them off. The next day, however, the marks returned. So once again, clean them. But each day, the red stain returned, and with the passing of time, the scarlet streaks became harder and harder to clean, until finally they were seemingly permanent. Legend says that over the years there were attempts to replace these marble blocks, but even that couldn't stop the eerie and unexplainable patches of red from returning. Most have come to believe that this stain is a bloody manifestation of the grief that the Craigmiles family endured, a reminder of their untimely deaths. For with each family member interred in the tomb, the marks are believed to have darkened. Nina was not the sole resident of the mausoleum for long. In November of 1873, she was joined by an infant brother who lived only a few hours and was never even named. Then, in 1899, John Craigmiles himself joined the children. He died from, quote, blood poisoning after slipping and falling on an icy street in downtown Cleveland. Obviously, everyone knew exactly where John wished to be laid to rest, but he left specific instructions in his will. First, I wish to be very plainly buried in the lower hand catacomb in the vault or mausoleum where sleeps the ashes of our darling little Nina. Nina's mother, Adelia, lived a long life, making it to the age of 80, and she too was interred behind St. Luke's after being struck and killed by an automobile while crossing a street in Cleveland. Whether the stains actually darkened after each of these deaths, is up for debate, and there's no real documentation as to when they first appeared, but they do in fact still remain to this very day. The earliest place that we could find a discussion of the mystery is from a 1950 newspaper article published in the Tennessean under the headline, Elegy in Marble, An Odd Tale Haunts the Cleveland Tomb of Nina Craigmiles. The story that it tells, though, 
which is likely the product of oral history, is a little more unpleasant than what is typically told today. The newspaper article begins by quoting a local woman who claimed, quote, everyone in Cleveland knows that the body of a child, perfectly preserved, lies in state in the marble crypt behind the church proper, where it was interred almost 80 years ago. The article continues, stating that not only do folks around town believe that the family was perfectly preserved inside, but that on certain occasions, the vault would be open for the public to view. Of course, this is not true, specifically the part about the perfectly preserved bodies. As we mentioned before, John's will notes that it is Nina's ashes that were placed inside the mausoleum. That being said, the idea of folks having the opportunity to view the inside of the tomb may not be completely manufactured. The Tennessean goes on to claim that there was once a sexton of the church who was not averse to taking bribes and giving people a glimpse into the crypt. This, the paper concludes may be why the tomb began to bleed, as it was then that the stains first began to appear. Upon noticing the mark's appearance, though, the sexton was convinced that they were an omen, that he had accepted money tainted with Nina's blood. So for a time, he stopped, and the red stains faded. But once they were gone, his fear subsided, and again, he began to accept money. Immediately, the stains returned, this time darker and more realistic than ever before. And it was at that point that no amount of washing could remove them. Fortunately, the sexton was now so frightened that he never again let anyone into the tomb. Today, Little Nina's bleeding mausoleum still stands in the churchyard of St. Luke's Episcopal for all to see. But according to local lore, there is more that haunts the tomb than merely those stains. Some say that Nina can still be heard weeping from inside the tomb. Others, that she can be seen on the nearby playground in search of children to play with. Meanwhile, it's said that the children of Cleveland claim that if you circle the mausoleum seven times and then approach the entrance, the metal door will swing open as if Nina is inviting you to join her. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. This month, we'd like to thank our most recent Patreon supporters, Casey Dudas and Kyle May. If you're interested in joining us and receiving additional content for this episode, including photos and a video of St. Luke's Church and the Craig Miles Mausoleum, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks.
What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.